It takes more than doing all the menial work in your company because you're too afraid of the job market in 2024 to be a great hired software engineer. <laughs> this is episode 394 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I am your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show about all of the non-technical stuff that goes into the technical field of software development. And a lot of it has to do with staying hired. Yes. Getting hired and staying hired. Yeah, you want to stay hired. I guess it should be employed because technically once you've been hired for one thing in your life, then you're hired. hired. (laughs) Yeah. It's like an event, not a state, I guess. That's right. Uh, That's right. It is an event. Yes. Emit new job life event. Name equals hired. (laughs) I want to thank our sponsor. Thank you to the Red Hat Compiler Show, a podcast that you should check out that you'll hear more about later. Yeah. Well, I want to thank our patrons. Please, please do. These generous people have donated so much that we say whatever they tell us to say every week. They are Ramit, Dan from Drone Deploy, Chase W. Norton, Typehero.dev, Never is Not Just a Crater on Mars with the flamingo emoji. I like chicken. I like liver. Meowmix, meowmix, please deliver. Sorry, I had to mispronounce that twice. <laughs> Trash Panda, thecomputersciencebook.com, Valentin at Datafold, Santa Hopar, Kent C. Dodds, Jenny Kim, Owen Shartle, Craig Motlin, The Stochastic Parrot, patron.com. No, just patron.com. We're hiring. Ira Chan, the question mark. Literally, just a question mark. Jonathan King, WebTow, awesome end-to-end testing, the unsettling nature of not knowing the content at willangel.net. Williamangel.net, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Will. Travis, Brayden Keynes, John Grant, Cody Sale, and Nick Cantor. If you'd like to join this illustrious crew, go to softskills.audio and click the support us on Patreon button. If you choose the level that is high enough and auspicious enough to join the illustrious crew, we will say your name or whatever you can type into the Patreon name field and uh, and is safe for public broadcasting. <laughs> yeah. By the way, any, any uh, dollar amount greater than zero will get you access to our Slack workspace slash community and we send those out in the first week of every month so by the time this airs you should get a round of those thank you to everybody who joins there it's pretty freaking awesome there were some great negotiation threads this week about how to negotiate in fact i saw a thread where someone got a bunch of negotiation advice this is in 2024 mind you people and was able to (laughs) increase the offer they received the equity component of the offer by 44 percent that is massive that's I mean, I was going to say it's incalculable value for subscribing, <laughs> but you could calculate it yeah. and then figure out how efficient your contribution is to Yeah, especially especially if you only donate $1 and then get yeah. you know, millions of dollars of equity paid out in a few years. It's a pretty good ROI. Yeah. Yeah. And we promise that will happen. Yeah. That's a guarantee. <laughs> you can take that to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> and many other things are what we would say if we could make promises like that. Yes, yes. All right. Should I read our first question? Yes, and this is a long one, so we might need to take some bathroom breaks in the middle. But we, we <laughs> liked it. We liked it a lot, so we want to read the whole thing. Yeah, it's well written, but maybe I'll get tired. <laughs> yeah. An anonymous listener asks, my team are about four months into transitioning away from a Scrum slash Kanban way of working toward a more traditional Scrum slash Sprint way of working. I feel like our Scrum Master is, quote, weaponizing some of the Scrum practices in order to show up weak points and failures in the team. 
rather than working with the team to ease us through the transition and make gradual improvements. In private conversations with me and some other trusted developers, parentheses, LOL, JK, I sh- clearly shouldn't be trusted as I'm writing into David Jameson. <laughs> Those parentheses. The Scrum Master speaks about how little refined work we have in our backlog and how they are looking forward to exposing bottlenecks in the team. As they expect this will lead to pressure on our PO, I think that's product owner, and business analyst and force them to step up their game. Whatever amount of work we bring to a sprint is law, and they forbid more tickets coming into the board mid-sprint, even if all the tickets are done halfway through the sprint. Okay, do you need if a break? One... <laughs> we... Are you okay? Yeah. We'll just edit the breakout, though. So I, I took a long, <laughs> relaxing break just <laughs> <Okay>. now. <laughs> if one single ticket is on the board, they will try to block more tickets moving into ready for dev, as they believe we should all be focusing on getting the highest priority pieces of work done uh, into the done column. And they take no notice when I've expressed the issue with this too many cooks approach. They're a nice enough person outside of a work context, but in work, it really feels like they're setting us up to fail and sort of relishing it in it. Dissent is rising in the team and everyone on all, from all sides feels unhappy. Can you recommend any action I could take to prevent the failures that are inbound? For context, I'm a junior developer working at a large company within my department. We are split up into scrum teams made up of around six developers, two testers, a scrum master, a business analyst, and a product owner. The senior developers within the team have not taken any action other than complain in secret about the Scrum Master's behavior. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, man. This is a great story. Okay, first of all, we just talked about... Oh, no, wait. We didn't yet. Oh, this is... I was about to say we just talked about something, but we haven't because we recorded something out of order. But Ooh. let me just say, hold, stick with this episode because it's going to be just a beautiful thread weaving its way through the thematic arc of this podcast episode. Okay, with, with that useless information set aside, <laughs> I just want to say that um, this may not have come through in the audio version, but much of the spelling and phraseology tells me this is a British person. And mm-hmm. like all Americans, when they hear a British accent, even in written form, I think you are smarter than me. So I, that's just a thing. How did we win that war with those <laughs> accents they had? <laughs> you know, they were so smart. I'll never know. <laughs> oh, man, just the intelligence of this writing. I just loved it. Yeah. <sighs> All right. I love how the writing sounds when I read it out loud in my yes. head. <laughs> in your American <laughs> accent. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. The, okay. This There's a few things that just really struck me here. We got the... What do we got here? Uh, the Scrum Master is weaponizing the team to make it look... I, to put pressure on the product owner and business analyst to step up their game. And the pressure that I perceived here is that they're saying there's not enough, quote, refined work or, you know, uh, well-defined stories in the backlog. Uh, meaning like the team is working too fast and the, and, or, or working faster <laughs> than the just, product owner. We're just too good. And yeah. And if only we had one. more stuff we knew we could do. Yes. Is that what, I have never I seen that, that? beat. I think you're right. And I've never seen that actually be true in real life like yeah i've never seen not having a million more things you could do then exactly and that and that's because software is a gas it expands to fill the sprint that it was placed in <laughs> not in this case this apparently case, not it they a solid it. yeah it's a solid yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it occupies 50 percent of the volume of the, of the sprint yeah <laughs> oh I man just wonder i wonder what these bottlenecks are that they're trying to expose and and why do the developers have to be collateral damage and and how does this manifest in a development team that gets to spend 50% of the time on essentially paid time off? And I have many other questions, like, why are you complaining about this? <laughs> why don't you just sacrifice one member of the team 
to work on the one remaining ticket in the sprint and the rest of you just goof off. Yeah. And you rotate. Think of all the That's antics. your real on-call rotation. Yes. <laughs> we, call it, we actually call it the off-call rotation. <laughs> yeah, I, I have never worked in an environment of strict, rigid adherence to the, the scrum, like sprint-based way of working. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you can make it work, but boy, would I hate it. And part of why I would hate it is the stuff that is being described here. It's... Okay, I'm reading a book called um, Seeing Like a State, which is about how large institutions, in order to make sense of reality, impose constraints on reality that that try to abstract and simplify things. And those constraints end up like changing how people behave in the real world as well. So uh, if you were a tax collector in like the 1600s, each town had a different unit of currency. I'm totally making this up, but... Mm-hmm. If you are, it's hard to collect taxes. So they just say like, good news, we'd all use, this is how much a bushel is everywhere. Bam, just like slam it down on the populace. But there's always this local nuance that needs to exist in order for stuff to actually get done. Like maybe their bushels are different sizes because everybody has a different plot of land and it sort of like took into account how productive each person's plot was in the in the town. And like, so you kind of like take these hard and fast rigid rules to try and smooth out a very large area and and you get once you like press them down on the individual team level um it, it there are always friction points like this issue of everything's done we we literally cannot pull anything into the sprint or add uh, even if we're done early like that rule i could see it making sense if you have like a thousand engineering teams maybe on average the output will maybe be better if you apply that rule to all the teams, but boy, can it suck if you're in one of those local teams that is kind of Mm -hmm. hitting up against this restriction. So my point is you are dealing with someone who is enforcing this rigid structure upon you that is trying to accomplish an outcome that is separate from like, get your work done for you, the developer. They're trying to make the work visible and measurable and, and, you got to find ways to squeeze in the little local accommodations or you're going to be miserable. Mm-hmm. And how, you might ask. This is where I turn to my good friend, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you would. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> because all I'm going to do is sit here and laugh. <laughs> I mean, it's even more complicated that the, the question asker here is labels themselves as a junior developer, which which kind of brings with it a lack of influence to be able to make any big changes here. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I love that point at the end. The senior developers haven't done anything except complain to each other in secret. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, yes. There you are seeing the value of experience and all the benefits it can bring. Yes. To solving problems. like <laughs> You're just as powerless nothing. after 15 years of experience as you are after 15 days of experience. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe they've learned some helplessness where the experience has taught them they can't do anything about it. So complaining yes. in secret is the most rational strategy. Like, look, it, it's cathartic, it's therapeutic, yeah. and the situation's not going to be any different, but I feel better. And if we ever get subpoenaed, then there's going to be some like spicy drama this will create when people <laughs> read these records. So it'll make their lives better. Yes. Oh, goodness. Boy, what do you do about this? You know, I, it's this, whoever wrote this, I'm just so impressed with your, your, what's the word? 
your observation skills, your ability to put all this together and see what's going on. This strikes me as the kind of situation where I would be looking around going, something's wrong and I don't know what it is. I feel mad all the time, but I don't know why. (laughs) Your powers of perception, that's the word I was looking for, are very well Mm. developed. Now we'll see if your powers of influence are well developed. I think, you know, I I think at this point I'm trying to figure out who are the people I need to talk to and what do I need to say. And I I might start with this one person. I'm going to read a paragraph from the question. There's a nice enough person outside of a work context, but in work, it really feels like they're setting us up to fail and sort of relishing in it. (laughs) Mm. I, I think I might go out to lunch with this person and sit down, have a nice chat. How's work going? How's the new scrum process coming along for us? Do you relish in our failure? (laughs) i was thinking about the phrase nice enough person because it means the opposite of what it sounds like Mm. like if you ever describe someone as a nice enough person you mean they're not a nice person oh really or you just say they're a nice person right nice enough oh i I don't know maybe this is a britishism you Mm. know Oh, they're nice enough, yeah. which means they're decently nice. It's not crazy nice, but... But you only say that when there's a problem, right? Nice like, enough. I wouldn't describe you as nice enough. I'd describe you as nice. I, I would describe someone who is just really average nice as nice enough. Meaning, you meet the bar for basically acceptable niceness. I think it. I would use it when it's like, there's always a but. They're a nice enough person, but... All those maybe, dead maybe. bodies in their trunk. Like there's always something you're saying you're, you're trying to offset. I don't know. Anyways, glad we could help. Next question. <laughs> so this is saying, a rough one. Bring it up to the person? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, somebody is a puppet master here. Somebody has, an, there's, a, there's a motivation that might not be clear to you. Someone said out loud that we want to expose bottlenecks on the team. And that means someone is not doing their job. And this whole setup is like the most elaborate, passive-aggressive approach to solving that problem, which should be solved by direct confrontation by someone who is responsible for the delivery on this team, probably the people manager, to say, someone's not pulling their weight. Let me go talk to that person. And if they can't improve their performance, then the team needs to... Sorry, all I'm getting is like immune system responses here, like <laughs> like to a pathogen. Yeah. But I mean, really, someone is not pulling their weight and they need to be coached or encouraged out because if, if it's that bad that everyone around them is like, you know what, rather than tell you you're not doing your job well enough and give you coaching on how to improve, we're going to adopt a whole new development methodology that is just designed to reveal your incompetence so that it's apparent to everyone and hopefully you. I wonder if there's some kind of... Yeah, that's really interesting. I wasn't thinking about it from that perspective of they're weaponizing the team against this person, against the, what do they say, the the PO and BA? Yeah. The POBA, as I call the duo. (laughs) The POBA, clearly. (laughs) Yeah. Force them to step up their game. Yeah. Boy, is that an expensive way to force someone to step up their game, is pay a bunch of developers to all work on the same ticket for a week, which when it is not a thing that can be worked on by multiple people. At the same time, mm-hmm. I wonder if uh, my instinct in situations like this is always to try to find some shared goal. If you go back far enough, dig deep enough, like what is the shared outcome we are reaching for? 
do they want this person to step up their game because they feel like the team needs to get more done? Good news. The team can get more done if you let us be a bit more flexible in our sprints because right now <laughs> we are blocked by by this arbitrary requirement of not pulling in other stuff. You could ask them what problem they're trying to solve by doing that as well. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think they sort of have the answer, which is like swarm on the highest priority thing. But that's not how software always works. You can't always swarm on one ticket with a whole team, especially if they have different skill sets. And I don't know. I think I'm, I'm saying things that could be true or could not be true in this specific situation. But the, the point is you're, you're trying to find out, like, what are you going for with this? And can we achieve that in a way that makes the senior engineers complain slightly less? Yeah. Also, which just, uh, yeah, totally not your job, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, not not a junior developer's job. For but sure. good news, it sounds like you wouldn't be a junior developer for very long if you yeah. if this is the kind <laughs> exactly. of thing you work on. Exactly. And apropos of nothing, but I'm looking at the team composition here: six developers, two testers, a scrum master, a business analyst, and a product manager. Product owner. Sorry, product owner. One, two, three, four, five. That's six developers and five non-developers, one of which is a full-time Scrum Master to manage six developers. This team is kind of top-heavy on the org chart, I think, as well. Yeah. Maybe that's why you have so much drama. No one's actually fully busy. Yeah, that could be true. I wonder if it depends on the area, of, like what type of thing they're building as well. Like, We just need a lot of Scrum Mastering. Yeah. Listen, this Scrum is unruly. <laughs> it can't... <laughs> Can't be handled by a, an ordinary part-time Scrum master slash yes. project manager. No. No. The Scrum will master you if you don't <laughs> devote all your time to it. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I don't have much more to say here other than what we've already said, I think. It strikes me as Whatever. a passive-aggressive approach to a, a performance problem that should be yeah. handled head-on instead. Yeah, it is interesting that manager is not a part of this team. Maybe there's like a matrix management thing where maybe the scrum master has their own manager that's kind of affiliated with that group, not with this specific team, which sucks. Mm -hmm. Huh. Well, I know if you do what we said, your problems will be solved. All right. Good luck figuring out what we said. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jameson, we've been talking about this podcast from Red Hat called Compiler. We're kind of, I guess people might think we're kind of obsessed with it, and we are. What do you want to tell people about it today? I want to tell them about a new episode I just listened to from Compiler called Warning Signs, which is about some red flags or disasters or bad things that have happened in people's careers, which in some ways is the subject of this show. <laughs> so it felt like it was yes. very synergistic. I don't know. There's something about hearing like a good prod is destroyed story that warms yes. my heart. <laughs> you particularly like those. I love them. Yeah, and, and the compiler is good at storytelling about engineering. I think that's one of my favorite things about it. Yeah, and let's not miss this opportunity to say how much better they are than us at production quality. <laughs> if we keep saying it, then it becomes like a we're doing we're doing bad production ironically. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> like, no, we know it's bad, and we choose to because we're cool. I think that's how it works. Right. But seriously, if you want to listen to a a podcast about software development from people who actually know what they're doing and sound great and tell good stories, Red Hat Compiler is the podcast for you. Yep. Go check it out. Dave, do you want to read our next question? 
Yes, I do. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, Before the tech recession, I would recommend engineers stay at a job for 12 months before looking for a new job in order to avoid having the stigma of being a job hopper. But with the tech recession enabling employers to be more picky, is 12 months long enough? Or should engineers stay at a job for even longer than 12 months before looking for a new job? This is a terrifying question. <laughs> I don't know. This just makes me scared. Because 12 months long enough. It, yeah, just why? all the implications around it. I mean, would you agree with the premise that 12 months used to be long enough? I think 12 months is long enough for someone in 2021 to look at a resume of someone they think would be good and say, I can fix them. I can make it so they'll stay longer here. <laughs> yes, they'll love me more than There are than problems with all those else. other places. Yeah, yeah. They did it wrong, but we we will do it right. So yeah, I think there's something to that. If It, it feels a little bit short, and if I saw it a bunch, then I'd be a little concerned, but to me, the desperate uh, times. The tenure, the minimum tenure time is similar to that XKCD equation that tells you, based on your age, who you can date based on their age. Have you seen that one? Um, Probably. I feel like I've... Don't you just like wake up with all the XKCDs in your head? <laughs> uh, no, there's a formula that basically says, take your age, divide by two, add seven. And that's the minimum age of someone you're allowed to date. Uh, it's like see your it. dateable range. Yeah. I kind of feel like there's, and so basically the older you get, the bigger the range of dateable ages you're yeah, allowed. Yeah, 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 You know, so if you're 50, you can date someone as young as 32. Yeah. If you're 80, you can date someone as young as 47. That, yeah, that's maybe pushing the boundary a little. But anyway, yeah. the point the point is that the, the tenure of the people you could date on earth changes as you become more senior in the dating pool. And I think the same is true for, and it always has been true, for tenure to not look like a job hopper. If you are a 20-year software veteran, someone who has been developing software for a very long time, 12 months is not a long time to stay at a job. But if you are brand new to the industry, this is your first, quote, real programming job, 12 months is possibly plenty of time. You know, in fact, Mm. that's great. Yeah. I don't know what the new tenure would be, but I would say like someone who's been around as long as I have, it's like two years bare minimum. In fact, if I started hopping to a new job every two years, which I actually did at my last job, (laughs) I think that would look pretty bad. If I did like four of those in a row right now, uh, people would be like, whoa, job hopper. But you know, when you have a title that's like an executive title or a leadership title, it takes a few years to move the needle on a company in a leadership role. So you're hopping. You look like a hopper if you go shorter than that. Anyway. And it's more disruptive if you leave. Yeah, exactly. It can be. I mean, especially when you're like me and you just make so much good impact. That <laughs> when you're when you're so good at your job yes. and everyone cries <laughs> when you leave. How could, I mean, the emotional hole that you leave in people's hearts takes yeah. years to mend. No, Usually everything falls apart without you, but not because you didn't do a good job of setting them up for success without <laughs> you. Because they chose out of sadness to do a bad job once yeah. you were gone. Exactly. It's not a, right in, in a way that doesn't reflect poorly on you at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that you failed to document literally everything you did. Yeah, and, it's not and, that you ran away with all the all the secret keys, <laughs> <laughs> or set up a whole bunch of processes that depended on you being present and no one else yeah. could do. And it's not that you totally increased the bus factor of the team single handedly. Anyway, back to the question at hand: Is twelve months long enough? I think I was just reading some of the words of the question and turning it into a different question in my mind because it makes sense what you're saying and it's very much from the perspective of someone evaluating resumes. Um, I just threw all that away and was like, why would you leave a job after 12 months 
as is right now. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's tougher out there to find a job than it used to be. There are layoffs. Things are things are kind of grim for some folks. And I think this expectation that you can successfully hop jobs every 12 months is is less true than it used to be, certainly. I'm sure there are people who could pull it off, but I, I think I w- would be looking for a bit more stability now instead of rapid hopping between opportunities. Yeah, I mean, to me, the question is almost the wrong question. Or, sorry, not the wrong question. This is a question most people are not asking right now. Like most people yeah. I talk to are saying, how can I hang on to my job and not leave? Because new jobs are so hard to get right now that they're like, I don't care if I look like a job hopper. That's not even, hopping isn't even an option for me right now. I can barely limp. <laughs> I would like to be a job haver, not exactly. a job hopper. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think like anything, when the market is a little bit tougher, it, there's probably a, a lower, uh, employers can afford to be a little more picky now. So maybe there's probably some employers on the margins who uh, 12 months would have been acceptable and now they're getting enough applicants that they say like, nah, no thanks at 12 months. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure it would hurt you sometimes, but I think, I don't know. It is. It is. I'll, I'll explain why I think this question is being asked. And it, it actually makes sense to me. And that was that in 2021 and 22, there were so many crazy lucrative offers being thrown at everyone all the time that it was almost silly if you didn't change jobs in that time period. Because it was hmm. like, why not? I mean, you, you could have made like $40,000 a year more. Yeah. Why are you just sitting in this old job? You know, and so when I look at people's resumes, I'm like, oh, yep, they changed jobs in that time period. Actually, maybe twice. I'm like, you know what? I can't blame them. And when, if someone yeah. asks you about that, you can say, yeah, I just, could you believe it? I got these amazing offers. How could I turn them down? Well, now those companies don't exist anymore. So now I'm looking again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, they but paid now, me all their money. <laughs> exactly. They, yeah. <laughs> My salary put them out of business. Who knew? But anyway, the uh, now though, I'm like, okay, well, the economy has slowed down. People who can are trying desperately to hold on to the jobs that they have because they know the market is so hard to find a new job in. And so, yeah, it like kind of stands to reason that unless you're being forcibly let go, you're going to stay at your job. And so, I don't know. Like, to me, I think everyone is so focused on just retaining their income and trying to be as valuable as possible that I don't really think people are worried about looking like a job hopper right now in this market. And I don't think yeah. hiring managers are worried about that too. By the way, well, this is another really interesting thing, but one of the attitude shifts that comes in an employer's market is that it almost doesn't matter if someone has a history as a job hopper, you know you've got them now. You know, it's like they don't have as many <laughs> options, right? I mean, think about it. You're you're paying yeah. the salary, you know, and I mean, this is just going to creep into the into the kind of the subconscious of employers. But Feels you know, evil. Yeah, it's a little evil, but it's like, on the other hand, it's kind of part of the dynamic. It's like, I know these people aren't going to go anywhere because they don't have other options. So, you know, I'm not actually worried about them job hopping. Yeah. Yeah, the the value of stability has increased. And so they will value stability more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we solved that one. Puzzle is solved. Um, (laughs) We just have to, you know what? Our goal is to be successful enough that we make the tech market frothy again. Yeah, exactly. Let's and to go do that, lower the interest I, uh, rates, Dave. I actually just need to get on a plane with the head of the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank and do a little inception <laughs> to make him lower the interest rates again. <laughs> was that what the... I forgot what the goal was. 
for Inception. So I'm going to assume it was to lower the interest rate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it was slightly different, but close. Same same ballpark. Yeah. Um, but should should we declare a new minimum job tenure for job hopper dec- for job hopper status? Just write it in stone. I don't want to write anything in stone. I want to reserve the right to change my mind about everything. But you we know what? You, if you we, declare it, I will. I will agree. Okay. We could always without even knowing what too. it is. Let's let's declare <laughs> yeah, thir- thirteen months as a new minimum threshold for not being a job right. hopper. I agree. <laughs> All right. What can people do if they would like their own questions answered with the replies ready to be etched in stone forever? (laughs) They can go to softskills.audio and click the ask a question button where you can fill out our handy dandy little form there. And as always, we say to you, those who have submitted these questions and taken the time to write them in your beautiful British spelling. Thank you (laughs) from the bottom of our heart. Also, I'm just thinking of all the American listeners who are like, oh, if I spell optimize with an S, does that mean my question will get answered? <laughs> it, it could. It could. Yeah. We don't claim to be impartial, just awesome. So <laughs> With a Z? How do the, what's the British spelling yeah. of awesome? <laughs> no, it's brilliant instead. That's what they say instead ah, of awesome. Scintillating. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening. We will catch you next week.